This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead. This is Austin Real Estate Investing, and today we have Cooper Drenner on here. Cooper is with Wildhorn Capital, and he's going to tell us all about what he does related to Austin Real Estate Investing. Hey, Cooper, how are you? Good, Jordan. Thanks for having me. I, uh, if you're actually catching me, I am in New Orleans, Louisiana. It's my first business trip post-pandemic, so... <laughs> Um, a really good sign. I mean, New Orleans is, is open and we're here. I'm here meeting with investors. Um, it's my first trip out and, uh, the airport was safe, but full in a good way. So all good things. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, we've been seeing a lot more traffic when we fly. So real quick, Cooper, who are you and how are you involved with real estate investing in Austin? Absolutely. Again, my, uh, my name's Cooper Drenner. I'm born and raised Austinite. So I am an actual local. I was born and raised here, went to UT. It's the only city I've lived in. Uh, I am a partner at Wildhorn Capital. Uh, Wildhorn is a locally owned, Central Texas-based value-add multifamily group. We really buy and improve mid-80s to early 2000s properties. And um, and again, proud to be an Austinite. Love it. Yeah. And we've had both Andrew and Reed on the podcast here. So we've Heard a little bit about their experience. I'm the shortest. Wildhorn. I'm the shortest partner at Wildhorn, and so that yeah. uh, you know, that's you're you're getting the C team now. There you go. Well, it's it's hard to beat Andrew or Reed, so you're doing well. Well, I'll do I'll do my best. Yeah, there you go. So, real quick, Cooper, I know you have limited time today, but and you're from Austin, so this might be a little harder to to elaborate on, but. Why do you choose to invest in Austin? I know right now people can invest anywhere they want. Why do you guys focus on Austin particularly? Well, um, I kind of joke that the further I get from sixth and Congress, the less relevant I become and, and being local and just Austin at the, at its core is still a pretty small city or small town, depending on who you are. And we feel like our ability to source unique opportunities as Austin gets more competitive in in the global landscape. um, One, I think Andrew talks about this a lot. We need to have conviction. So whatever we're doing, especially in a competitive environment, we have to have real conviction. And two, if we have to have some form of a value add strategy around something other than what someone from out of town can see. And I think three, and, and this is true, we're investors in this community. And when you've been here for the last almost 40 years, we I remember when Austin was the biggest boom bust economy, maybe in the country in the 80s, definitely in the in the tech wreck in the early 2000s. And we were one of the worst economies in the in the late 90s. And so when you looked at the the last five recessions, if you go if you count what just happened to us in the last year recession, Austin was a horrible economy. In the, in the first three of those. And then the last two, we've been the best economy, kind of the LIFO model. We've been last to go to negative job growth, first to go to positive job growth. And for us that have been here, and for me personally, I know why, what's changed before the first three and then the last two. And it's been at what we believe in every day of the week, which is really centered around population growth and job growth. And 
And really, I think what changed 15 years ago around economic development and how we as a city did economic development differently. Yeah, and they're very aggressive with that now. And we said population growth. We're over 180 people a day moving to Austin, which is just wild. And I think about 40 of those are births over death. So we kind of, we talk about it more like 125. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're, you're exactly right. One of my favorite interesting stats, uh, stats, Jordan, and for those that have been paying attention to Austin for over 20 years, we had a mayor named Will Wynn, which is a great, you know, mayoral name. Uh, Will Wynn was a very easy slogan. And, um, so one of the interesting factoids is, in, and I would welcome anyone to go look at this, Masomenos, over the last 200 years, Austin has doubled in population every 20 years. Mm-hmm. So this idea that we're growing somehow faster today than we did when we had a Democratic governor and Ann Richards versus a Republican governor. Um, when we built for infrastructure, which we've not done a great job of, versus when we didn't build for infrastructure, we've had population growth at the same level. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, as we've grown as a city, it's sort of turning on itself in new ways. And where those people are spread out, I mean, one of Austin's weaknesses is that uh, I like to say that we are a city that does not like density, but we also hate sprawl. And so we've 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 been a city that struggled with how we've grown and in which ways we've grown. And for that, we've sort of misplaced that all oh, this population growth, these new these new migration from out of town is what our issue is. Our issue is for the last 30 years, we haven't invested in infrastructure in the right ways. Mm-hmm. And I think we're now as a city starting to do that. Yeah, no, that's awesome information. Um, I love the data there and I love the, the look back at history of, of how things have just always grown every 20 years, no matter who's in charge or who's doing what. Um, you know, Cooper, you know, I know you're real, you're absolutely very knowledgeable about Austin. And I'm sure we could talk about that all day long. What attracted you to real estate investing in the first place? And when did you get started here in Austin? So I grew up uh, in, around the industry. Um, my father is a land use attorney here in Austin. And so uh, I remember growing up in an environment where our family was somehow involved or related to what were the SOS fights of the, the 90s, which were kind of the famous fights that defined most of our land development codes, that defines most of our environmental regulations and in investing in Austin. That was a, a very contentious time in the 90s when the environmental community and the business community were trying to sort out sort of the rules of engagement for how we were going to grow as a city. And so uh, I grew up around the industry. Most people that knew me at that time, I worked at Waterloo Records in high school. Most people that knew me would have figured I would work in the music business, um, but I went and studied business at UT. And more than anything, I think Austin's important to me as much as real estate was interesting. And watching and making sure and, and being a part of the way Austin will grow in the future was always very appealing to me. Uh, the sense of place in Austin, to, to steal a real estate term, is something that I've always loved. And I'm someone that loves the way. The fact that new entrants, one of my one of my most frustrating things is when people that, you know, didn't grow up here, moved here, went to UT and stayed here, go, God, Austin's great, don't move here. Like, if you grew up here and you lived here in the 90s, we were not a great, we were not an exciting food town. We had no downtown residential. Downtown, going to work with my dad growing up was a ghost town on Saturday. We had, our live music scene was interesting. 
it was fun, but it wasn't exciting. It was cheap. And, you know, one of the things I say all the time is if you find someone that moved here in 1970, moved here in 1992, and they moved here in 2004, the second year ACL Fest happened, or they moved here in 2014, they'll, you'll consistently hear this, Jordan. Oh, Austin was awesome. And it it really kind of lost its soul mark out five years after they moved here. And, and everybody thinks that, and, and that can't all be true. And I look at it and go, man, there, there are some, with all the things that have happened in the last 30 years to our city, there's been so much great, exciting things that we get to have now for my kids that, or for it to enjoy as an adult that I would have never had seen happening growing up. And with that comes some, some drawbacks, but that I would much rather that be true than these cities like San Francisco or Detroit or these cities that feel like they're just dying in on themselves or they would kill to have some of the infrastructure problems that Austin does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love that. I, everybody says all oh, traffic's terrible. Well, traffic's terrible because a lot of people want to be here and that's a good thing. Yeah. So it's, it's and traffic's not terrible in comparison to Los Angeles. So yeah. people in Los Angeles don't talk about the traffic. The people that lived here in the nineties talk about the traffic, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, my property taxes are so high. Well, your house has tripled in value since you've owned it. So yep. I'll take those issues. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's always balance with what your problem is. Um, you know, Cooper, you, you've seen a lot of deals. You've seen a lot of deals in Austin. I know you guys do a lot of big multifamily deals in the Central Texas area. What's one thing you would tell a newer investor to avoid when they're either looking to do a deal themselves or when they're looking to invest passively with somebody like you? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community, and now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. No, it's a great question, Jordan. Um, so IRR is just a fascinating metric, right? Mm-hmm. IRR, I can make an IRR on a deal say a lot of different things. And so one of the things when we talk to investors, and Andrew and Reed have probably said this on this podcast a lot, is really thinking about your risk-adjusted return for the market that you're in. So Huntsville, Alabama is a is a market you hear about a lot. And in the investor network. Amazon's put a campus there, you know, oh man, we can go get a six cap in Huntsville. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. That's, that's great. We can go get a six cap in Huntsville. Well, a, in Austin, if someone's showing you a 20% return on an acquisition, my red flag would go up, especially in the multifamily space. I hadn't seen a true, what I feel like is a 20 where it, to me, Given how competitive the landscape is, I have a hard time understanding how that's going to underwrite. So the story we try to tell investors is, as Austin has both improved and Amazon's come and Apple's come and Visa has 800,000 square feet and Google took 800,000 square feet downtown um, and another 800,000 square feet on the east side, Mm -hmm. as those things have happened our risk adjusted return has come down. And so when you're trying, when I see a 20 in Austin, there's usually a refinance baked in there. And Jordan, if I could handicap where rates are going to be in four years and model it, I shouldn't be doing this. I I should be a billionaire. 
-hmm. but I don't know how you include that in there or it's got, it's got data points that are unrealistic. You know, and one of those is, is a great example of is rent growth in Austin. Well, one hand, on one hand, a model I could show you, we'll have 6% rent growth in our hold period, but at some point, I'm just not going to put that in my model. Well, in order to get that return metric, you're going to have to show a rent growth deal that I just don't feel like is disciplined to have in your model. Mm -hmm. Jordan, let me pause real quick. I'm going to get a water. I'm, I'm coughing one second. All right. <coughs> guys. All right. Good to go. I just had an itch in my throat and I don't want to yeah. just keep hacking on for our guests. So um, I'd be looking at that. I think the other thing as an investor, when you're looking at a central Texas deal versus a deal on a small market is, you know, we are, when you look at it, a lot of times people are showing you IRRs. That's the best case scenario. We try and make our IRRs the worst case scenario, mm -hmm. but what's the floor of that asset? And so when, when you're, when you're talking to an investor and they're going, well, Hey, I don't want to do this deal in Austin. That's a, you know, a 14 to LPs because I want to go chase this 19 to LPs in this market. I don't blame anyone for chasing a larger return, but I would just be thinking about what is the underlying um, risk profile of those assets. And I sure as heck want to be paid for appropriately for that risk. And in much the same way in Austin, if you see something that looks a little too frothy, I dive a little bit deeper into that model and make sure someone's not just buying something and feeing it to death and sort of coaxing you in and then pulling a lot of fees off it. We try and make our, our model really transparent about where our fees are going, how we're back in focused with you. And then, you know, again, I'd really try and understand what the comps are like in the submarket. Cause again, the book you get or the model you get, you can make that say whatever you want it to say. Yeah. And, and I think as an investor, you want to be as equally yoked as, as the, the GP partner and understanding the markets that you're investing in. And I really like how you talked about rent growth there. So I know a lot of people underwrite what's been historical rent growth over the last few years into their models. How do you guys approach that when you're underwriting something? So it's a great question. I have never found anyone that has the right answer. Um, we try and collect all the data that's out there from all of the, the great data sources on our marketplace. I think supply plays a big piece of that, mm -hmm. but not just global supply, but micro market supply, mm -hmm. but also not all supplies created equal. If we're buying into a value add 80s vintage walk-up deal in North Austin, well, does brand new um, wrap product that's, that they're going in asking rate that's a full buck over ours, is that a real comp? Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really believe so. And so we, we really try and think about it. Um, we try and ramp up slowly rent growth in our model. And then, and at the same time, be, be less back in focus. And we try not make our models returns super dependent on that rent growth from a, you know, well, Hey, if I really have to hit a four in year four for this thing to gin, that's again, kind of going back to from an investor mindset, I really want to understand what levers really move this investment. And if someone's put too much weight on rent growth in a specific year in a specific period, I don't, I don't think that's a, that's a good deal. What we try and think about is we want to think about rent growth as an average over the life cycle of the asset, because last year, most assets in Austin and across the market, you had 0% rent growth. Well, this year we're going to probably have we're seeing seven, eight to 10% rent growth. Well, no one had a 
seven or eight in their model and no one had a zero in their model for deals they had. But over the life of the asset, I think they're going to probably in Austin end, end, end out around four to four and a half percent. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, you're really just talking about, you know, pay attention to the under <laughs> things you can control and then stuff you can't control like rent growth, absolutely no control over rent growth. Something I've seen people model is they're going to bring the expenses way down too. I think it's important to understand how how they're going to do that if that's even possible. So we tend to grow expenses candidly. Um, yeah, uh, in our models for that reason. Yeah, I think that's a great example. The, the places you'll see that, and we we have a couple of deals we're working on that are like this, where we already own an asset, we can go add a smaller asset adjacent to it, mm-hmm. and fold that asset into our current assets underwriting and find some. And usually, where that should show up is when you're stepping into a small asset because smaller assets are harder to run as efficiently. And so you can find some some savings, but you're exactly right. When somebody, and then that being that's not 100% true, different owners tend to have, but usually it should be around staffing. It should not be around, you know, OPEX stuff. It should be, well, hey, they run four inside, four outside on the property. You really only need to run three in, three out, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's important to pay attention to that stuff because I personally have seen a lot where they say, hey, they, these expenses are going to go down this much and the rent's going to go up this much and it's going to be great because of these these two things. There's not really a whole lot of other plan there. And that can be a little scary as an investor to see that. If you're a price per pound buyer in Austin right now, it's hard. Yeah. You know, I don't know how you're going to feel good about buying something like what I always say is, hey, we're going to underwrite expansion on our exit cap. We're going to step into it, but I have a business plan that I'm going to drag this thing to the finish line. And it doesn't really have anything to do with what's happening at a macro level. Mm-hmm. And so much of that, I think goes back to job growth. If we're paying attention to where companies are going and we're really that granular on how we think about location, there should continue to be that story. Even if certain parts of the market and certain segments of the market contract. And, um, that's at our core kind of the stuff we think about. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. And I know we're all waiting to hear where Samsung is going to go. That huge multi-billion dollar investment. People are just, you know, waiting, wait, itching, waiting to hear if Samsung's going to pop in in Austin and where it's going to go. And that'd be great. I think, I think the city really stubbed their toe there candidly. Um, I don't know in the news, if you paid attention to, you know, shutting Samsung down during the winter storm and not having, a little bit of deference, I think is going to be, I think Samsung will be here, but um, it's a, it's going to be interesting. I just know there's probably some real frustration on the Samsung side. Mm -hmm. I think as a city, we have to, one of our issues as a city, and I think some of the reason why you see some of the big companies go on the periphery of our city is I don't think we have always done a great job thinking of our biggest employers as our partners. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, I think that absolutely is, you know, years ago, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a pretty interesting story. Years ago, when Opportunity Austin is, is the, in any of our listeners that, that invest in Austin or are a part of it, I would, I, if you were going to put money and invest in anything um, that backs and adds fuel to your investment, I would invest in Opportunity Austin. It is the economic development fund that, that runs and programs 
everything we do from a job growth standpoint. So pre-2001, yeah, this is an overstatement, but our economic development efforts were one staff member at the Chamber of Commerce and a, and a voicemail, more or less. So when Samsung initially puts in in early 2000, the first fab plant here, they were having, they were, they were putting a ton of people on Palmer Lane at the end of the day. They needed a light. It was dangerous for their people to take a left out of their property. They couldn't get anyone at the city to give them a callback and, uh, about that issue. And one of the sort of key tenets of Opportunity Austin and our chamber staff is not only hustling and recruiting new talent and new companies, but also talking to our existing companies and asking what's going on. And as the story goes, and I was not involved in this, was they went to go check in with, uh, with the folks that were running Samsung here locally, and they were really upset. And they weren't upset because they weren't recruiting talent. They were upset because as a city, we would not give, we were not being a great partner in helping them solve an issue that was really important to their employees, a traffic light. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, the chamber doing the right things was their advocate went out, helped solve that really quickly. Well, that resonated so well, that actually opened us up for the largest plant we ever got. And if you think about that, not being responsive to our partners by way of a traffic light almost two decades ago, we would never even be thinking about the $17 billion plant we have today. Mm-hmm. And so much of, if you think about how job growth works and sort of where California has put itself, it's not like they messed it up a year ago. It's over time, they've put themselves in a position where they're so frustrated because the, the business community was not considered by the cities and the states that they live. And so that's a great anecdote. I know it's a true one that a traffic light didn't win us, but by just not handling that small things correctly, we didn't realize how much we were disqualifying ourselves from possibly all the things that have led us here today. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I love that. I, it's never a quick thing. You know, it, like, with Elon Musk deciding to not open his next factory anywhere close to California, it wasn't they shut <coughs> down the pandemic. It was over time it's been frustrated and And i think as a city we stubbed our toe with how we treated samsung during the winter storm and some of that was outside of the control and some of it was not but that your largest employer and 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 the the reality of what that plant does i think um was a miss for us Mm -hmm. yeah no only time will tell here but you know I, i love you also pointed out another investor i know here in austin won't won't come too close into the city to develop anymore. He only goes outside, you know, the periphery, Lockhart, Taylor, that kind of stuff. Um, and I think you're right there because I saw Samsung's even looking to be out out towards Taylor. You know, and that that's not really Austin, but it's and and by the way, both things are good. Um, some of that is because land values in Austin make it really hard. It's also why when we find something of value in Austin, we you know, a lot of that is in a timing perspective. And and then at this stage where land is so expensive, does it make sense? You can make a deal, make a lot more sense out in Taylor, Lockhart, you know, Maynard. But I would also say there's room for both. But um, your cost of capital has made Austin harder for your rank and file, smaller developer to go find a deal that pencils. Again, I goes back to return expectations. I think we're now attracting capital and developers that might have lower return expectations to do a deal in Austin 
than than your than your folk that had been doing deals here for years and years and years. Um, it's also a chicken and the egg when you go do a deal and, and Taylor, they may be a lot more welcoming and those are great communities and they are partners with Austin, but you also have probably a little bit more supply risk in, in those areas than you do when you find something of value in, in Travis County. So I think, it, I think from my view, from an economic development view, it's both and. We have to be investing in the suburbs because that's where our housing is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think there's still room for really interesting opportunities in the, in the core of Austin. Yeah. There's still so much growth to happen here. Um, Cooper, you know, you've been here a long time and you know everything about Austin. What's your best advice for somebody looking to invest in Austin here? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Um, kind of two things. If if you're, and again, I don't know everything or everybody. I I'm a been on the service side for as much of my career, and what I've realized is it's still a pretty small town. So, um, if if you're an investor and you want to be a passive investor, I would probably be looking for someone who is somewhat local, whether they're whether they live there or they have employees there. Again, it's so competitive right now. I think it's hard. You know. I can show up in Nashville, Tennessee tomorrow and find a deal. They'll let me buy one. Um, I would be wondering why the smart guys in Nashville, because they undoubtedly heard about it before I did, passed on it, and why I showed up as a out of towner. And, and you know, am I the am I the fool that that found the you know golden egg? But so I would be if I wanted to be passive, I would be investing in people. I'd be investing in people I trust. And then trusting those people are going to be stewarding my dollars well, because if you're always IRR focused, you're going to find someone that shows you the return you want to see. And that it may not be worth the paper that it was on. So, and if you want to be a more active investor and, and kind of be running a deal and you don't live in Austin, that doesn't mean you you have to, to live here, but I would be traveling here as, as more as regularly as you can. I think in order to have the conviction you need, you're going to have to understand the drivers in the city and you're going to want relationships, whether that's on the services side and your service team's local, but it's still a market that having some local feel, you know, our saying as a city is keep Austin weird. And some of that still, you know, permeates even in the business community of you can be out of town and feel local real quick. And it's, but it's going to be hard to find a deal if you're going to make one trip to town a year and it's going to be three days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, Cooper, I know you got to go here soon. Last couple questions for you here. Do you have a business Absolutely. mindset book that you like to recommend to people? It's a great question. Um, that's a great question. Um, I do. And I, I've got a couple. And Jordan, I'll send them to you and you can sort of maybe post it in. Um, one book I loved was uh, called War Room. It was a, a book on that Bill Belichick did. So I love both business books. And then I love business mindset books that I can pull from really accomplished people. Um, I used to think I was a good leader and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more dubious. And, and I think as a young company, what being a leader doesn't mean you're always comfortable leading. Being a good leader doesn't mean you're just the one that's comfortable leading. I think that's part of it. But I think really understanding how you grow people within your organizations is really important. Mm-hmm. And I love that book. Um, I love that book. Um, 
I, you know, Chris Voss's book on negotiating, I think is a, a fantastic book. I've listened to Chris speak. Um, not that that's an end all be all, but I, whenever I read a book, I try and pull one or two things from that book that I can really apply and how I think about either our company or deals. Awesome. Yeah, no, I've not heard War Room yet. That's a new one. Um, I also love books that aren't just specific to real estate or business, but they tell us a bigger yeah. story that really helps you understand more principles that are going to get you where you want to go. So that's really cool. War Room by Bernie. Absolutely. Yeah, well, let me see. Yeah, and I'll, if I come up with some more good ones, I'll absolutely pass them on and you can post it with this podcast because it's, uh, I love, I love, um, books are such a great way for me to um, kind of refresh myself and, and, and not become a prisoner of the moment. The other book I loved and just adding one more is it takes what it takes. It's again, it's a sports psychologist mm-hmm. um, that named Trevor Moad is a great guy. And that's another good one I read this year that I thought, man, there's some things I took from that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I like books that aren't aren't just so focused on one thing, but more focused on the bigger mindset to get there. So that's cool stuff. Um, Cooper, last question here. How can people get a hold of you and what is your favorite restaurant in Austin here? It's a great question. So um, we're, our website is wildhorncap.com. Uh, I'm Cooper at wildhorncap.com. We keep that pretty simple. We It's pretty easy to get a hold of us. We want um, LPs are the lifeblood of what we do. We love having, we obviously want that relationship on the front end where I love to make ourselves available to talk about Austin, San Antonio. Um, you know, if you, there's too many good restaurants in Austin, but if you wanted to say, everyone always asks, or what are your three favorites? And I'll give you three in no particular order. And there's some mix of highbrow to lowbrow. So if you want a, the quintessential Tex-Mex experience, Matt's El Rancho is sort of undefeated. You know, nine out of ten Austinites will tell you that's always going to be their favorite. Um, if you want to, if you want our most our best fine dining restaurant and our best restaurant is either Uchi or Uchiko, mm-hmm. and those restaurants I think as a Japanese restaurant hold up to any restaurant in the country. And then um, if you want a third spot, uh, I love Bufalina, which is uh, sort of a coal fire pizza place that or wood fire pizza place that I think is pretty special and. Uh, a great, if you want to be on the East side, a great representation of kind of what's happening in East Austin and, and what uh, a type of a restaurant we would have never had here years ago, uh, that would have been a steakhouse. And now I think is a great representation of kind of what the cool Austin experience that people think they're getting when they come to town. Um, Buffal- yeah, Bufalina on the East side, they actually just tore down the one they had on Cesar Chavez. I don't they're going to be opening up a second. Then the second one's on Burnett Road, and it's Bufalina Dew is fantastic. So, yeah, I love it. Uh, the, love there's it. an office building being built where the uh, where the first one went. Oh, okay. I was wondering what it was. I drive by that almost every day. Great, great office building that will be well. I think it's just going to be announced really short. Bufalina will be uh, reopening on the east side. I think here shortly. Absolutely, I knew they were. They weren't going anywhere. All right, Cooper. No. Thank you so much for coming on here today. Really appreciate you. Let me know if I can ever come back, Jordan. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I love having you on here. Um, Want to be respectful of your time. But anyway, wildhorncap.com. We'll have all that in the show notes here too so anybody can reach out with anything they need. Talk to you later. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you.